Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold sets up. If you're going to blitz... Come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with a Big 12 Media Days slash first real drama on the 40 we've had all offseason edition of Longhorn Blitz on Horns247.com. I am Jeff Howell. Let me bring in the rest of the team because we've got a lot to get to on this week's show. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. Matt, how's your... Uh, your month of July going so far. I've oh, been awesome, man. You, you were not at Big 12 Media Days like Rod and I were. No, but. I did not, but with the modern marvel of technology, mm-hmm. got to see <laughs> just like instantaneously on like Instagram, just stuff popping up all over the place. And so it's pretty cool. Got the feel, yet got to be here I'll, in town. I was almost sensing some sarcasm like that. Like you were going to go like that wonderful modern marvel of television. <laughs> I was yes. able to experience the same thing. No, way. it's close, though. Yeah. The internet, even more of a modern marvel. There's got to be a Hank Hill soundbite about the internet somewhere. Oh, yes. In, uh, in um, one of my favorite ones is the dang internet, and nobody cares whose life it ruins. <laughs> the, oh, yeah, we did have that, didn't we, back in the day? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know why, but one of my buddies sent me the uh, a GIF of uh, – Rod, am I saying that right, a GIF? Yes. Is it a GIF or a GIF? I'm not cool enough to know. It's a GIF. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a GIF. Well, I've heard both. I've heard viable arguments on both sides. It's like tomato or tomato. I'll go to the nerdy roots when you save files. We used to call them before it became like an internet thing with memes and GIFs. When you would save the file, they called it a GIF in tech class, at least okay, in the cool. early 2000s. So yeah. anyway, one of my buddies sent me the GIF of a Bobby Hill in a self-defense class where he's screaming, That's my purse! <laughs> I, I don't, don't know, know you! you. And, <laughs> and then he'll kick a woman in the crotch. <laughs> Great, it only took us about 60 seconds to get a King of the Hill reference in on this week's cool. show, so we're doing something right. Yeah, multiple. <laughs> uh, a man who appreciates King of the Hill was at Big 12 Media Days with me. Uh, hardworking man. Every time I walk by him, he's got his... You guys think Rod, like we give Rod crap about like his papers that he spreads out all Always over the place when he's doing the show. At Big Twelve Media Days he had like, you know, your standard, you know, folding, man. you know, table that you see. Rod had papers on every square inch of I that just table. Had it, it was organized in my it was organized. Most people thought it was chaos. Look Rod's seen my ba- my yeah. kitchen get, table yeah. during basketball season. <laughs> it's just papers yeah. everywhere. Yeah, actually, I get weird looks from people and stuff. I understand people look at me like I'm a freak, but I to, go, I mean? I to me go, it's organized and I get the boom, I need I get right. the same look at Barton <laughs> yeah. Springs because I'll go there and then just go through my numbers, I'll print them yeah. out and then just be sitting there while on my towel with things. What are you doing? <laughs> people look at you like I went to a pit, a place called Wild Pitch Sports Bar. In, Wild Pitch, yeah, in Dallas. But it's actually instead of a restaurant, it's basically like a butts. Instead of, you know, so basically, oh, okay. it's women in g strings walking around. <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought it was a sports bar. So I wanted to go do my research and stuff it's for Big Twelve yeah. at a sports bar. I went out there and it was just it's a it's a it's an astaurant. Yeah, pretty it's a strip much club. And <laughs> and I'm <laughs> you just have cocktail waitresses. <laughs> yeah, and no I strippers. Sat, I sat around and had the papers and everything, and I was like, well, I went to a sports bar because I wanted to watch the home run derby and do prep, so I'm gonna do it. And you should have saw people, people looking at me in this astronaut, like, this guy is doing prep. He's like, working. What, what is he doing? This guy is crazy. This guy's a, so actually, it worked in my favor. A lot of the women were really interested in me. Yeah. You know You're the doing. only person like, there not ogling I'm them. I'm the only guy, yeah, it worked. And I'm the only guy not interested. It's got to be summed up with uh, him. Like, you know what I mean? So I got a lot of interest from the ladies, which I rejected because I'm a man. I'm telling rejected. you guys, there was a point, like, there was a point yeah. during those two days where Rod was on the air and I'm walking by the, the horn table and I, I had to go check on Rod. I'm like, Rod, you all right, man? He's like, yeah, yeah brother, I'm just getting organized. And yeah. I'm like, okay. No, I'm just getting Rod knows what he's doing. I'm just uh, making by sure the way, he doesn't that need sports help. bar serves sushi. So it was an astronaut oh that served disgusting. sushi. And I'll tell you this, any place where there's going to be women ass out, do not eat sushi there. What a, <laughs> what a weird concept. <laughs> not kind of, a good idea. No. What a strange concept. <laughs> it was a sports bar. That's modern society. In... Slash astronaut. And it was the weirdest thing. You know, you want you, modern society I will, in two minutes? That's it. Yeah, I will tell you. Who, <laughs> I will tell you who. Derby and beer. Rod, I will tell you who owns. I will tell you who owns that restaurant. 
somebody with a lot of money and a lot of yes people around them because <laughs> somebody at some point should have stepped in and be like, bro, this is a horrible concept. Bro, was it packed somehow? served sushi at where I told I was sitting there with a guy and he was like, man, they got sushi here. And I was like, bro, I don't know if you think this is a rule, but this is my rule. I don't know if it's a rule. Maybe I heard it, but it's mine. It's you, you never eat sushi or even seafood any place where people are going to be ass out. It's like, like if there's an ass out. Do not eat the seafood. Mm, it's, it's like Steak? cool. It's like hearing stories. It's like, okay. It's like hearing. Okay. It's like hearing stories about like wrestling bookers and promoters back in the day coming up with the bad game. Like, all right, what we're gonna do? We're gonna have a restaurant, right? Everybody says restaurants, right? But instead of it popping out up here, we're gonna have it popping out from the bottom. See, and we're not gonna serve wings or any of that stuff. We're gonna have sushi. And we're gonna be outside the box, like classic. It literally <laughs> sounds like an '80s cocaine, like just crazy. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. They still had they had wings and everything too, but they had. Like a whole, like it was a sushi bar. Like they, they publicized you want that. Fried but sushi, they, we'll fry it. They did not, they did not promote the ass, but they promoted <laughs> everything else. So I thought it was just a sports it's bar. Like it ulti- out, it's like an Ultimate Warrior yeah. promo. It's just off the rails. Right. Like what is, what did and I, I walk gonna leave when I walked out? I was like, well, I'm not leaving. Right. <laughs> that's sort that's of no reason. Like that's no reason to leave. Yeah. That's just very surprising. Yeah. I did not know this. Well, you, you just brought up like what, what's <laughs> going on here? I immediately triggered in my mind that. I believe the Astros game you went to ended on one of the most insane plays I've ever seen. Like I had to watch it. My notes like, am I, I just tripping or is right. this real? And, about, and you didn't even stay for it. That's crazy. No, we had to. Actually, I haven't told this story. Let the me baby. go ahead and uh, introduce the third member oh, of our man. team. Uh, <laughs> lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UTL American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas into 40 acres where he earned his degree. If he knew where his tea ring was, he would wear it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. And Rod, Thank you are an Astros about. fan. Uh, just a quick update. Go, I did take my daughter to an Astros game last week. Matt, you mentioned one of the weirdest walk-offs uh, you'll ever see. Didn't stay. We we got there early. It was like a Mustang game, well, like nine-year-olds. Because <laughs> I told my wife, I said, the, the one thing I don't want to do with, with a baby with us, I said, I don't want to, A, be standing outside in a line uh, <laughs> yeah. for very long. Um, and I don't, you know, I just want to avoid, like, you know, crowds and weights. I just want to make sure we're in our seats and, and we're good. So, um, and we got there early. And I, honestly, man, my daughter was chill the whole game That's like awesome. no fits nothing yeah. even like roof closed so it's roof, good. What? Yeah, a couple no. of alex AC. a couple of alex bregman home runs so there's some explosions Man, going on that guy's nothing on it, you know yeah. everything was fine um and we but we it got because it was a game it, it ran late because like so we're we're looking at the clock and it's like five after nine and we're barely in the seventh inning i'm like hey why don't we, i don't want to push it so why don't I, well, let's stay through the seventh inning and then you know we'll see we'll where go it back goes to the hotel. Yeah, so we we left and we missed the Ken Giles meltdown and uh, the weird oh, walk off. Yeah, like that was said. great. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was looking at the, I was like, best. I think Jeff's at this game. Who'd have known? Who'd have known? My four month old will be calmer than the Astros closer. <laughs> in, in minute, maybe. That's right. Right. You brought up Bregman <laughs> homers, <laughs> and since nice. the Longhorn show worth mentioning <laughs> last night, immediately two Astros <laughs> taking an Aggie deep to win the All Star game. My uh, my so. daughter my daughter did not f bomb uh, AJ Hinch and then get sent down to the minors So. Let's let's go talk. Uh, let's dive into it, Rob. Big twelve media days. You and I, coach. You and I were both there. Yeah, Come we're not on, talking baby. about F-bombing coaches. <laughs> well, I mean, we're not going to talk about f bombing coaches, but we'll talk oh, about yeah, uh, something directed yeah. to coaches. We'll get to that in a minute. But Rob, Big Twelve media days, and you know, it's one of those deals where you know people. There's inevitably something that you wish you would have asked that didn't get asked. That you know, you wish. Ah, oh, gosh, I wish I would have spent more time on this, but. You got to understand, I mean, the press conference that everybody sees for somebody like me and the the print media, those Mm -hmm. quotes are almost pretty useless Mm because everybody gets those. Yeah. So it's during the breakout sessions, which are, you know, run for anywhere from 60 to, you know, 80 minutes or something like that. Um, That's where you get most of the good stuff that you're going to use later. And and really, so really between four players and Tom Herman for me from a Texas standpoint, uh, you really got to pick and choose what you get, and you're not going to get everything you want, but you got to get enough good stuff. And I've got to make it last until camp begins, which, by the way, mm-hmm. practice begins on uh, August the third. That's so, hard itself. Oh, so, I like that. you know, there was a lot of stuff we heard from the Longhorns, but yeah, you know, I think some of the more interesting stuff I heard was from some of the Texas opponents, and I've got some stuff up. Uh, you can find it on my Twitter feed right now and on the site. Um, some more interesting stuff that I heard at Big 12 Media Days came from the opponents. And, Rod, one thing I don't want to spend too much time on because we've got a lot to cover, but 
talking to Cliff Kingsbury and Lincoln Riley about Todd Orlando and how tough it was for them to scheme against that defense. Because keep in mind, not only did he see him last year, Lincoln Riley also saw Todd Orlando in 2016 when Oklahoma played Houston uh, in that first game of the year down at NRG. And that's one of the only advantages Texas would say have because we talk about that you know second time around and a coach getting yeah. a chance to respond, and that's actually good for Orlando there. So Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury both said the same thing. The thing that makes Todd Orlando so tough to scheme against is he does run a, a lot of risk-reward with some of his blitz schemes, but he disguises so well and everything's so well executed that, as Cliff Kingsbury put it, when you're going through your quarterbacks in a film session on it, you got to make sure they're, they're not looking at ghosts, that they know what they're looking at yeah. on where to go with the ball and, and what's real and what's not. So that ride is two of the best play callers in the country, giving Todd Orlando a lot of props on the way he runs his defense. And, you know, it's one of those things I actually saw a quote from, I want to make sure I pull it up here, from Daner Hogerson. That's interesting because, I don't know, mate, and I thought, I was like, man, I wonder if Jeff is part of this because I knew you were asking about that subject matter about the dime defense and that was just six defensive backs. I do have a story on that. Popularized. That's, that's also, yeah. yeah, the Big 12. And I saw your story about Todd Orlando. It's a great story. The one about Iowa State and yeah, their Iowa, defensive coordinator. Texas basically copied yeah, what fantastic. they did. Yeah. You guys got to go check Thank it out on Horns 24-7. Um, but – Says that Daner Hogerson, um, uh, that he said that Iowa State <laughs> and Texas stole the uh, the stole that dime idea from West Virginia. Oh no! <laughs> it's like yeah. we've been running. We got the West Virginia a scheme doing idea that to run now, in the big. It just fits the big conference. Now, now the thing is, it all depends on your definition. If you're talking about just six defensive backs, hell, you could probably trace back to where everybody has a used dime. six right. defensive backs to dime package. Belichick at one point. in 1990 um, against yeah. the Bills. So I just think it's all about how you. Well, not in terms of like yeah, in the Big Twelve. In the well, Big but 12. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's the same thing. Uh, the dime talking about yeah, used. like in the Big Twelve, <laughs> but in terms of popularizing it. I think Todd Orlando is going to popularize it even more so than Iowa State and even more so than if West Virginia has been doing it, West Virginia too, because they're going to do it, I think, at even a higher level with going up against pass-happy teams and really, really good quarterbacks. And that was kind of the key for Texas, and I even saw that in your article, that when Texas started going up against, you know, they went up against Sam Darnold, but when they started getting into Big 12 and getting to the meat of it, going up against big quarterbacks, uh, that, that dying package worked out really well for them. It's almost unfortunate they didn't figure it out when they went up against Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. They weren't using it because and you could almost predict like how much more effective the Texas defense could have been against those elite quarterbacks. And those obviously they did really right. well against those quarterbacks, I think, relatively considering those are first round guys considered the best quarterbacks in college football, yeah. Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. But with that dying package, they did find something special in a lot of ways. And there were so many different variations of it. The Jason Hall variation of it. The John Bonney variation of it, mm -hmm. the Antoine Davis variation of it. You know what I mean? Like that that's why I really love about it. It morphed all throughout the season, sometimes out of necessity, sometimes schematically, out of the matchups they were facing. So I think Todd Orlando found it very useful. And no matter yeah. who stole it from who, uh, no idea. Hell, the, the light bulb, Thomas Edison didn't invent the damn light bulb. He just popularized it, and he made it in its best form, the most mm -hmm. marketable form. Exactly. And he, right. You know what I mean? Like it, Trust me, there were guys who were working on it way before he did it, but he found it and found a way to, mar to monetize it and market it very yeah. well. That is what I think Todd Orlando is going to do for that. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned not using it against USC or Oklahoma. And I think the hesitation was, and I, I think in hindsight, Todd Orlando could answer this. I don't know if he would. Hindsight, in hindsight, he might have done it differently and gone to it earlier. I think the hesitation might have been with three-man front and sometimes having a five-man box against USC and Oklahoma, two teams that like to run the football. Maybe that puts you just at a numbers disadvantage in the box when you don't use it. But Texas was so good stopping the run in that front because yeah. of really I think it boiled down to two things, Puna Ford up front and then I think Gary Johnson at linebacker. When you've got a yeah. guy that, yeah, he's fast, you want him on the field because of his speed, but a guy at 225, 230 pounds, that C-gap to C-gap is maybe the most physical football player you've got. Plus you've got Breck. Hager on the field now, maybe Todd Orlando would have done the it different. Guy. And if you could have found Jason Hall earlier, and if you would have been, you know, because yeah. he was experimenting all throughout the season, so I'm not criticizing because they're going on the fly. It's his first we're just, season. We're just Monday morning yeah, quarterback in this deal. If you yeah. find that earlier, then he said you have your hybrid. You got two hybrids in Breck and Hager, one in Jason Hall. You got Puna who's a freak, and Todd Orlando said that Puna Ford was among the best three D tackles he's ever been around. Or Tom one, did, yeah. Uh, Tom, yeah, Tom, did I say Todd Orlando? You said Todd Orlando. Yeah, yeah sorry, Tom Herman, excuse me, uh, at Big 12 Media Days. And I, at, Defensive the, I think, Herman. 
Uh, well, yeah, well, yeah. He, he basically, I'm, I'm, I think the other ones that he was talking about was Ed Oliver, obviously at U of H, and Casey Hampton at Texas, <laughs> talking about his coaching career, which is really high praise for a guy like Puna Ford. So I'm agreeing with you, and we've talked about it on the show. The defense is going to change a little bit. I, I don't. You just can't. If he's that freakish, Casey Hampton freakish, Ed Oliver freakish, and yeah. his effectiveness, you know, to play the deep tackle position. Then you're not going to be able to necessarily replace that. You got to find a way to money ball it. You got to do other things. I, I, they obviously like Chris Nelson. That's why he was at Big 12 Media Days. But I do feel you on that. Like that, he's he's toying around with it. He may not use it as much this year, and because he's trying to keep those three pass rushers on the field too, with uh, you know Charles Amenahu and Brecken Hager, of course, and then Malcolm Roach. So I don't, that's going to be to me the true test of his genius. How do you? How do you how do you uh you know maximize that dime package which that lightning package was great for you last year it 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 awakened a beast in Brecken Hager he even talked about it at Big Twelve Media Days but also keep your three best pass rushers on the field at all times yeah it's gonna be tough to it's do though those tough. things that's a square peg in a round hole that'd be four two needed in but the, you, you gotta have a nickel. you know what I mean how do you do it do you move Charles Minahu inside you it know makes what I mean? you have go a NAS, nickel go NASCAR package at times you know what I mean and to say you know what screw it well I try to get guys in passing downs anytime there's a long anything at the five can be anytime, the guy in the middle. any down in distance at the five yards Minahu you're inside. You know what I mean? I want I want all my pass rushers right. on the field at one time. Like I don't know how he does it, but that's the challenge this year. Yeah. yeah. Because you can't waste that advantage up front. And yeah. that's a big thing because, like, if you talked about the biggest fear last year being against USC and Oklahoma and now not having Puna, then it would maybe look at you might not be able to utilize that as much unless you get a guy yep. to spin down the way you did in recent or good years of defense under the Muschamp era of Acho coming down or somebody like Houston going down. But when you talk about the dime package overall and inside the conference and how it's used, like you brought up, Jeff, in those games – You can actually interject game theory, and it brings me back to think about what the Belichick example was against the Bills, because if you are most fearful, well, they're going to run all over me. Well, that still could be a benefit to you because now you're shortening the game, making their offense less explosive, less potent, having to do it more times, shorten it, and then if you have confidence in your offense, then you can go. Now, if you don't have confidence in your offense, you don't really want to shorten that game. So that's something that would be interesting to see how it plays out. But it also would lend you to allow them to run more so. But in this conference, you might actually want to choose that if you're going against passing the ball explosives or making them beat you methodically the way the Bills deduced or were deduced by Belichick back in 90 with that offense because they're like, okay, Thurman Thomas, you'll eat up half the game and get 150 yards, but you're going to be doing it in tiny chunks. Mm. Uh, the, uh, the, rather, the, the one transition I could think of, and, and, you know, Texas didn't play bad defense in the season. I think it just gets clouded a little bit because of the 5-7 and seven mess that the season was. But and the Big 12. When you look at going from 2009 to 2010, Will Muschamp had to take a different approach with that defense because you lose, you know, Lamar Houston, you lose Sergio Kendall, you lose Roderick McElroy, who was a really pivotal part of that 09 defense, you lose Earl Thomas on the back end. And remember some of the things he did to try to maximize. I mean, they had depth and talent up front. Uh, some of the things they tried to do, you know, they tried to move. I remember trying to move Sam Acho and Alex Okafor, play mm-hmm. them inside more. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. and, and use Keenan Robinson as more yeah. of like a buck linebacker yeah. in some situations. A great point about Sam uh, Sam Acho. That's what I brought up Look earlier. At, yeah. Yeah. yeah, with you. So which, when we when we talk about guys like like Malcolm Roach and, and Brecken Hager, Roach that, would have to be that guy right now that, if, he that's could, why, if he could manufacture it there. But that's why we can talk about this and we're not just throwing stuff against the wall. Like we've seen this before yeah. with a coach like Muschamp who, like Todd Orlando, was very in tune to what he was doing and was – one of the most respected guys in that job anywhere in the country, uh, and they work. Uh, let me see if I can Fast pull and up powerful. the stats. Two seventy-five can be a good, effective thing in the Big Twelve. It isn't like what it used to be fifteen years ago when you might not be able to get away with that. Right, man. I, mm-hmm. I, th- I think that was some of the, and the issues. Texas got away with it ten yeah. years ago. But, That's literally like we forget what year. And it I think is. when teams, when teams were able to move the ball on that Texas defense, I think it was because some of the stuff you were talking about, Matt. The Big Twelve hadn't 
totally made the the switch to yep. being all the wide open uh, basketball and grass league that we've ago. known it the last few years. Yeah, it was slowly slowly starting to make that turn. But 15 years ago, we're watching it right now. Is Kansas State versus Texas 03 game on TV? <laughs> you don't yeah. see anybody like that down at the D tackle position. You couldn't do that with Benson coming down at you and those. Adrian Peterson were your backs. We pull up like some that. defensive yeah. numbers. No, it was. I mean, season. even the nickel back then was. You're dying. Cutting edge. It's your dime. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you look evolution at. You just then. look at the people still had tight ends at the raw then. at the raw numbers from that uh, that season. Texas, forty fourth nationally against the run, thirty sixth in pass efficiency defense, sixth in total defense. Take out a Four, UCLA game and they would have been out of control. And I think that K, that K State game too, where K State I think threw like three passes. Oh, when we were up there, yeah. When Garrett Gilbert set yeah. the school record for fifty something pass attempts uh, and interceptions, forty ninth in scoring defense, sixth in pass defense, thirty first in sacks. So. I mean, and return uh, that crew for top, eleven Manny Diaz. Yeah, so yeah, it's uh, was that, that was year? a that was a productive defense, right? It wasn't like an all time great yeah. Texas defense, but it was still with Will Muschamp kind of taking Junior what he had Gideon. and trying to trying yeah. to no, move no, some it stuff was, around. It was, well, because I think you had you still had NFL talent behind it too. You had guys, you know. I mean, that's the thing that you know that Kirk Bowles question that took Tom Herman a little bit by surprise about how many championship level players do you have on your roster and Tom Herman had a 10 second pause where how do I <laughs> had to what? think about it you know what I mean which I give him credit for I give, at least he had a thought he wanted to give a thoughtful response most time you get mm-hmm. coach speak just spitting it out there Burp. you know what I mean whatever it Burp. is so Burp. I give him credit for that uh but hell the truth is if, if I, no matter what question I ask you if there's a 10 second pause it's going to sound shady if right. I ask you do you like to do, are you sexually attracted to young boys? And you, no. and you pause for ten seconds. It's gonna sound shady. You know this I mean? is your Sandusky take. I don't. If your woman, if your woman asks you, you know what I mean, like, um, where you, where, where were you last night? And you pause for ten seconds. You gonna sound shady. You know what I mean? Like that's just the way yeah. it is. No, it's you know true. I mean? Have you ever raped anybody? No. Ten seconds of <laughs> going, no. Gonna, no you're fearful. You're you, you immediately are like, no. you a terrorist. No. Ten second pause. I think you're a terrorist. Right. No. So I think it is true that Texas does not have enough. I think that was a, the answer that he wanted to give early on. We don't have enough players yet to but even win the Big Twelve, the right way, so he let alone it. to win a national title at a championship level. But he wanted to think about. It. I think he in his head he was like counting them. He was like, okay, one, two, three, maybe four. I'm not this guy. Like I think he really did a little mental rolodex of yep. all the guys on his roster, like, oh. and he came up with probably five or six. It was like, damn, that ain't. I, don't I can't say, say that. that. <laughs> exactly. Oh hell no, I'm not saying that. Well, uh, he did. He did. He went about answering it, you know, which I totally understand. It'd be nice but to tell that the, like he had the, it was it was a net. It was a net. Well, it was going to be a negative answer no matter what it was. Because Texas isn't that. They, they aren't at that point yet. Give Kirk Bowles credit for just being the wise old sports journalist in Austin, asking the a duck. great question that can that can stump the head coach at Big Twelve Media Days. But it was I I actually might their answer. But like I said, anything you see after a ten second pause is gonna sound shady. But my 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 initial point about that is, yeah, Texas isn't at that point yet where they have the depth. You know what I mean? I don't think that they, even those teams necessarily had. I don't know if they do. Two thousand eighteen is basically your depth right now. Yeah. That's your depth. Two thousand eighteen class. So. I mean, hell, it's 2018 right now. <laughs> so that's yeah. the depth. So it's like Mac Brown with that 99 class. Like, we were the depth. Like, Robbie couldn't redshirt. I wanted to redshirt. It would have been great if I could have redshirted. Corey Redden, it would have been great if he could have redshirted. Chris Sims would have been great if he could have redshirted. We couldn't redshirt. We didn't have that luxury to redshirt. So I think he's at the point now where I need those two, the 2018 guys. Those guys are going to play. Because that is essentially the depth yeah. of this team right now, especially on the defensive side. And then yeah. the modern culture, and then the new transfer. It's just a whole it's new. It's just yeah, yeah, man. You got to yeah. You're gonna play those guys. Oh, you have to, or you're gonna yeah. lose them. Exactly. Let me take just take you guys back to uh, 2010. So by the end of the year, the starting defense was uh, Eddie Jones as your your buck and your buck linebacker, Keaston Randall at nose, Alex Okafor at a defensive tackle position, uh, Sam Acho back then, and Sam Acho did start two games at defensive tackle. That year, yeah. and then your linebackers Manny Acho, uh, Kenny Vaccaro was your nickelback, Keenan Robinson, uh, then Aaron Williams, Christian Scott, Blake Giddy, and Curtis Brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you, I mean, Shockey Brown was in that mix, so but what he was got he doing? hurt. A lot of NFL guys. All the guys that had any multiplicity. All right, We're on, just the, on the defensive front, NFL guys. I'm using it. Yeah. So you are talking about you know Sam Acho, uh, Alex Okafor. Those guys, hey, man, both y'all can play, you know, on the outside, on the inside. I need y'all guys to do it. And those guys did it. And in the Big 12, 
It's not like the, it's not like the Big Ten. Right. No, and it's the SEC. It's no not a lot of scrimmage leagues. I mean, hell, those, those little small guys, those guys actually end up having a huge advantage in the Big 12 a lot of the time. Because it's not such a physical league, unless you're going to, against Oklahoma, of course. And, and then just to have that, yeah. that the defense doesn't know, or the offense doesn't know what like the player's going to do. If he can immediately just pre-snap stunt and now be set up at defensive end, not everybody has that position versatility where a coach can see something and it messes up entire. It's like you have a sub already on the field instead of having to some somebody in, and that's something they've taken out of the modern game. Yeah. So anything else to get to Big 12 Media Days, Rod? Anything you heard, observed? Um, oh, that was a, man, that's a lot there. Uh, I would say... And we'll break this down next week, too, on the show because we got other yeah, a lot of course. to get yeah. to. Yeah, and I know we want to get to that Deshaun Elliott stuff, too, because that's, yeah. that's pretty deep. Um, in terms of Texas... Uh, I will say one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that Tom Herman sat down with Craig Way. <clears throat> they did a little sit-down, intimate conversation. Craig Way asked him a really good question, too, kind of like Kirk Bowles that didn't stump him, but he gave a great, a great answer. He said, how would you, because, you know, Craig Way is always trying to find the, the middle ground. They don't want to offend Tom Herman. See, Kirk Bowles might have upset Tom Herman. And Tom like, Herman, might, Tom Bowles Herman Bowles may not be, answer all of Bowles' questions. Yeah. He's going to answer Craig's he's gonna answer more Craig, so. Yes, he's going to give, because he, he grew up kind of with, admiring Craig like we all oh, do. Yes. Um, so Craig asked him, how would you best describe your quarterback situation, how you feel about your quarterback situation? And Tom Herman said, that I am, he said, I'm, I'm thrilled beyond belief or something like that, I believe was his, his uh, response. Damn. I'm thrilled beyond belief. Damn. Which is something that I Hyperbole. Be, that I be, well, I don't think it is. Well, that'd I be don't amazing. think it is. That no, would no, be no. awesome. I do think, because people don't understand, in the Big 12 right now, nobody really has a better quarterback situation than Texas. Oh, your backup situation is the situation's best quarterback great. situation Agreed. in the Big 12. It's better than West Virginia's with Will Greer. Because if he goes down like he does last year, they're... S, I'm just happy SOL. that he, or I'm, no, I'm happy he admitted right? that. Even I didn't with, think he'd admit that. Even with Oklahoma, you know what I mean? Like even with Kyler Murray, they're right now not as deep at quarterback as Texas is. Unknowns there. Yeah. The guy considered to be the, the second leading returning passer in the Big Twelve is Sam Ellinger. <laughs> I'm just astonished that okay? he admitted Shane, that. Shane Bouchelle is considered to be the backup by most analysts, yourself, Jeff, guys who are behind the burn orange curtain insiders, and that guy started an entire season of football. Real Greer has never started an entire season of football. Never. Yeah, Bouchelle may be the most experienced. Shane Bouchelle is actually the most experienced quarterback in the Big 12. Which is awesome. You know what I mean? Like that. That's crazy, but think about how – and that's your two quarterbacks that are competing. And the way he sounded yesterday, I don't know if that makes you feel good or not – he was he was bragging about the the two freshmen. He spent as much time probably bragging about the two freshmen he did, as yeah. he did talking about the two starting quarterbacks. Yeah. And some people were like, I don't know if that makes me feel really good. About or really, our two starting quarterbacks are the two guys who are battling for the starting quarterback job. And I said, No, no, no. I think that means that Texas may be getting back to they're out of quarterback hell now, where you're supposed to have two starting quarterbacks on your roster. Mm-hmm. Shane Bouchelle can go start for seventy percent of college football programs he's right now, Mark. and and Sam Ellinger too. It's supposed to be the case, and he's gonna yeah maybe transfer when he's a graduate transfer. But I think Tom Herman understands like looking around the Big Twelve like, damn, I rather get I rather have my guys than those guys. I rather mm-hmm. have my two guys than those guys. And you look at every team in the Big Twelve, you're like. Well, hell, I'd rather have Texas' two first two quarterbacks up than any quarterbacks in the Big 12. Right. And the other two are hand-picked by Tom Herman. The only two that are hand-picked by him. Sam Mellinger was inherited to a certain extent by him. The other two are hand-picked, Casey Thompson and Cameron Rising. So he loves those guys, and he talked about them a lot. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's – to me, that's what I took away from it, that Texas is in a good position. Also, the play-calling thing um, – Tom Herman's basically leaving open the possibility that he could end up calling the plays. Hell, as 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 early as the opening game, yeah. it could end up being him. And I appreciate that candor because he's like he's like I'm, he's like I'm basically said I'm as uncertain about Tim Beck as you are. Because mm-hmm. if he was certain about Tim Beck, he'd go right. no no, no my, Tim Beck will call the plays. plays. Uh, That's what offensive coordinator it, it's does. A, it's a group effort, but he's a he's a play caller. He would call the plays during the game. He did not do that. He said I would do do whatever is in the best interest of the University of Texas and Texas football, which sounds like something you hear uh, from a politician. Here, I, I want to win though. But, also, but here's here's the key thing when he's talking about play calling. The thing that stood out to he's me also that lets me know why this is why Tom Herman's not making this out to be a big deal. 
it's going to be his involvement, I think, for two reasons. One, we just talked about Todd Orlando. I think now that he's been around Todd Orlando for a couple years, saw how good Todd – because keep in mind, even though Todd Orlando's been a D.C. for a long time, last year was his first year as a, in a Power 5 conference because I don't, I don't really count the old Big East. I'm talking mm-hmm. to when he was at UConn. I'm talking about, like, yeah. legitimate, like, one of the big dog conferences. That was his first year. So I think Tom Herman, whatever uncertainty he may or may not have had about Todd Orlando, I think that's out the window. He trusts his defense is in good hands. Now he knows he can devote more of his time, energy, and effort to offense. And, Rod, one of the things he said was, there's not a play call on offense that I don't have veto power over. Yeah. So I think that means he's he, tuned in every. Well, that's also him taking responsibility for last year. That's partial that's, coordinating. That's true. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I, 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 that was me too. But I thought that was one. That's, that's also him. telling that he's literally like in the ear and engaged as an offensive coordinator would be on every play. That to me though is him saying, Rod, as you kind of just alluded to, that's him saying it doesn't matter if Tim Beck, Drew Maringer, Herb Hand, or the Easter Bunny's calling plays, the buck stops here on offense. Yeah, to me, yeah, yeah, I did it. It was I, I approved all those plays. Yeah. All right. So that's why I think he's not looking yeah. at it as a big deal because it really he's it really doesn't matter as far as he's concerned yeah. where the play call originates from. By the time it before it gets to the field, it will go in his headset and he will have the chance to either say I, yes, I like that or no, I don't like. I that. am rooting for Tim Beck. I said it uh, uh, yesterday. I'm rooting for Tim Beck. Most Longhorn fans are not. I'm in the minority, and that is fine. The reason I am is because I understand that if there is some huge shift, if there is like Tom Herman has to call the plays and has got to admit it to the to the to the media. Um, and if he's got to demote Tim Beck and then promote Herb Hand and all that kind of stuff, then that means the fit has just a sham. Yep. Things have gone horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah, you want and, Tim Beck to fall out. You know what out. I mean? Like you would like you would like Tim Beck to kind of naturally fall into that position and you know become really comfortable, and then the talent start to become maximized. If that's not the case, and things have gone badly, and the offensive identity crisis that has existed on the Forty Acres for seven years continues, mm-hmm. yeah. and it is not starting to be resolved. Yeah. We just got to tell, too, that from Herman that the next time we see just a random timeout from the sideline, that's like, okay, him and Beck aren't eye to eye on what's coming up next. But talking about the quarterbacks, him talking about just uh, how happy he is. It's the first time I was astonished that he's given any type of credit because he's not done that to that position since he's got here on Texas. It's always been putting the carrot in front, making sure somebody's motivated, even if we already knew somebody was going to be probably the incumbent like Ellinger or who's obviously been better. He still had never, ever said he was happy with the situation. He would say, like, you know, it's good, it's developing, but he was never at this point where now he feels as if we're set up better, so that's confidence. It's different than, like, previous off-seasons when we heard, oh, Texas isn't going to contend for a championship or something. Like, if you're saying that, you feel like you should be able to go out there and win every game. Here's the, a couple things to break that down. Going back to the play calling real quick, Rod. I, not that he did – Tom Herman didn't have veto power last year, because let's face it, yeah. you're the head coach, and that's your background on that side of the ball. It, it ultimately it, it does exercise with you. But I think now – I think with what Herb Hands brought to the mix, and I think the fact that I think for Tom Herman calling plays in the bowl game, uh, to me now that you know he he has since admitted that yes he did, and then you know he was responsible for that. I think that's kind of I don't want to say that's given him like some kind of freedom that okay I, maybe I can't call plays from the sideline or whatever. There's not some big apprehension about it. I think it really doesn't matter whether because the bottom line is Tom Herman has come out and basically stated publicly what we all know to be true about this program. Mm -hmm. If this offense succeeds or fails, it's ultimately Tom Herman's responsibility. Yeah, there's stats. It's not on Tim Beck. It's not Herb Hand. It's not the quarterbacks. What this program does on that side of the ball, it is Tom Herman for better or worse. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's his vision. There's just a different driver of that vehicle right now when you're in game time. He isn't fully there. It's like he's an auto co-pilot back there and there for, oh, fit hits the shan, I'm going to go whenever I feel as if the urgency is just there. He's got a – that's why the quarterback situation is probably – that's why it's so important. I Mm -hmm. mean, Texas – their offense won't succeed unless it has one of those guys, those quarterbacks, play at an, an exceptional level. And yeah. and I think his positivity, Matt, on the quarterbacks is twofold. We'll start take it from the standpoint of the veterans and the standpoint of the young guys. 
He's being positive about the veterans because he knows he's going to need both of those guys to win them football games this year. Yeah. Like, we've talked about it ad nauseum. With Sam Ellinger's playing style, you're going to need Shane Bouchelle to go win you a football game at some point. So you can't just go all in on Sam and treat Shane Bouchelle like the redheaded stepchild. You've got to make sure both those guys are locked in, both those guys are improving and developing, and that both those guys can go win you a football game with whatever plan you cobble together around both of them. Same reason uh, Kyler Murray hasn't won the job, I'm doing air quotes here, officially at Oklahoma because Lincoln Riley understands I got to keep Austin Kendall. Exactly. If I, if, I, if, I did, if I upset that guy, that guy's going to transfer, and then I'm going to be SOL. Same thing Tom Herman understands. Like, I'll just pay them the respect right. of keeping the quarterback competition open, and they can do that. That'll give them the ability as a quarterback to walk around and have their chest out and have some pride that the quarterback competition is open. They'll understand in the season, hey, I got to name a guy, one guy's to play, uh, play and one guy's got to sit but yeah, I agree with you. It's a it's keeping you got to keep a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture at stake. Nine out of the ten teams in the Big Twelve last year played more than one quarterback. And some for strategic reasons, some out of necessity. Rod, from a player standpoint, only Oklahoma State did. From a player standpoint, I know it's different for you being a defensive guy. But when you see a quarterback, if you let's say they do have to go to Shane Bouchelle because of an injury to Sam Ellinger or whatever, knock on wood. From a player standpoint, when you, A, know that guy has skins on yep. the wall, and, B, you've seen him take reps with the first team and do something with them, exactly right. that doesn't make you feel like, oh, God, can we just can we just get through this without just totally screwing up? you got a little bit of confidence in that guy. Yeah, no doubt. And I agree with you. I think it's and it's one of those things where I, I think Tom Herman knows that he's going to need both of these quarterbacks too, but they both are going to succeed under different circumstances. Right. We know that Shane Bouchelle is going to need a running game. So that's why I wonder, if you, how do you determine if you've got a running game in training camp? I mean, you really can't know. No. You really don't know unless you go up against other, you know, Unless you trust a, a, a Orlando. Like a, a D well, coordinator, there's certain. Yeah, maybe if they're pushing around your D line, I guess, and Charles Amenahu and But if Hager, you don't maybe. know what you're watching, but you get really the 2010 offseason. Yeah, it's really tough to determine what your strengths are, I think, in training camp. Yeah. It really is. Like, yeah, some yeah. things look like they're strengths, and you're like, damn, that's not a strength. Um, so, because you, go, you're, you don't have it in live, it's not in live competition. So I think Shane Wuchel is gonna he's gonna need a running game. If Texas can't manufacture a running game, then Shane's not gonna be able to succeed. Like right. it's, but Sam Ellinger doesn't need a running game to no, succeed because he can he can manufacture his own run game he can and then spark it on his own, man. And that's really to me that is the only separation between the two. You ask me, I think both right now they're at the same level, but one is a junior right. and one is a sophomore. Then with the young quarterbacks, I, I think it's this. This four-game rule with the redshirt rule where you can play in four games and keep your redshirt is fascinating to me. And the reason why he's got to keep talking positively about the young quarterbacks is is let's say you're in this situation, right? Let's say you're in that Tulsa game. Matt, we were talking about Tulsa before Rod got mm-hmm. here. And you, what would you say when you were doing the your headline, Tulsa prep? Uh, first, when you Google 2018 Tulsa, the headline comes up as unstable as ever. Okay, so that, <laughs> that that gives you an idea of what Texas is facing the second week of the season. So let's say Texas. Let's say the, Texas. The follow up quote: Tulsa has become even quote less stable. I didn't think that was possible. Let's so. say Texas is up thirty-five to seven in the fourth quarter against Tulsa. Should be. If you're Tom Herman, do you go ahead and put one of the young quarterbacks in, knowing you can play them, get some hmm. them, get them some experience, and not have to worry about burning a red shirt and. Yes. You have to keep talking about them this way going into camp because camp's going to determine if you do want to put one in, which one do you go with? Hmm. Because chances are, whichever one you go with, the other guy probably isn't here in January. There's the new carrot, too, that he'll be. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that, to me, is what makes any conversation about the young quarterbacks interesting. Yeah, well, you know what? That's going to make it interesting all around the country. Yeah. Yeah. Because everywhere that, that, is that, a race. It, it may be to your detriment or to your advantage, depending on how you use it, to be able to keep those young quarterbacks at least interested, invested until they can actually compete for the starting job. Because right now, nobody can keep a really good quarterback on their like yeah. third string. They can't. Then just gonna make nobody the richer, the, ri- the rich nobody. richer. It's gonna be <clears throat> like we're in yeah. Big Twelve. If you can identify and you can go and yeah. then supplement or inject it to your modern system, what you have going. If you can do that, That's, you can get so much quicker results and be d- ahead of the power because the ones that it isn't working for, they're gonna want out. And yeah. now you have a new That's, marketplace to go after. That's why the four and the five star, the, the transfer rate is, is above fifty percent because you can't keep them on a third string unless they're competing for the job they want to leave. 
this is the way to keep them invested. You ain't got to play the backup. You can play the backup of the backup and, you know I mean, get that guy some reps and still be able to redshirt those guys. I love it. Yeah. And like you said, it's a sample of how you can um, experiment mm-hmm. with different guys and see how they work. Yeah. And then when you add on the fact that, I mean, just a second ago when we were talking, it made me think about the idea of just that competitive nature at, on campus and how it organically develops. Because you're talking about, well, in spring you really don't know and you don't know, but the idea that certain groups can organically evolve the way, like say you talked about your competitive practices that were at this level, that the intensity wasn't something that you can just inject to a team every year that comes within the players the groups and the intrinsic motivation and if you're getting now younger players more motivated to play and then now there's more competition it can foster that type of thing but that's just something that you don't know you have until you see the results already on the field maybe the team knows because they feel that vibe within themselves but that's just something that comes out all right y'all ready to get to this the sean elliott stuff yeah So we'll get to more Big 12 Media Day stuff next week after I've got a chance to, you know, kind of go through all my stuff and really analyze everything and, and break some more of it down. But I want to get to the Deshaun Elliott stuff because we've got about 10 or so minutes left on this week's show. Uh, Deshaun Elliott fired off a string of tweets Wednesday morning, and I'll just read all the tweets to you uh, in their entirety. This is, uh, if you want to read this, you can go to Deshaun Elliott's Twitter account at official Sean, S-H-O-N underscore four, if you want to follow Deshaun Elliott on Twitter. Excuse me. I'd really appreciate it if anyone on the current staff at the University of Texas football team besides Craig Niver, Jason Washington, or Kyle Coates would keep my name out of their mouth and continue to bad talk me or any other junior that decided to leave early. We led your team the best we could before making a decision to better our families, which I believe you would do the same. If you really, quote-unquote, loved your players the way you portray, then you wouldn't continually talk bad about them behind closed doors. Bad-mouthing us to our brothers who we played with, who, who we played for and cried and sweat for way before you stepped on campus. Kept my mouth quiet about this. It's the complete opposite of my personality, but it has to come to an end. It's been a continuous thing for far too long. Mm. And then Connor Williams followed mm-hmm. that up with a reply of, I hear you, brother. Mm. So clearly, Rod, something not uh, not kosher with the guys who decided to leave for the NFL. And apparently some members of the current staff at Texas, outside of the three I just <laughs> mentioned, Kyle Coates is a, a guy that's on staff, and obviously we know Craig Niver and Jason Washington. Yeah. So Matt and I were talking about this, and I went next door here at uh, our studios at the Austin Radio Network and talked to uh, – Trey Elling and Brad Kellner, by the way, middays of Trey and BK, <laughs> 10 to 1 on the horn, which comes on right before the broadcast from 1 to 3 every weekday. Um, and one of the things that got brought up is, you know, if Texas was, if they had won nine games last year and were looking like a top 15 team this year, this probably isn't that big of a deal at all, right? <laughs> Not as big. It, it yeah, might, I mean, it might still, still get some well, buzz, but it's probably like, well, okay. The idea of winners for losers, but, you know, it seems like it's mostly just a former – When you're a continuously winning program, like, stuff like this happens at Ohio State and it Alabama. Does. Mm-hmm. No, not everybody that plays yeah. for Nick Saban and Urban Meyer likes them. Or I'm sure it's happening at Like Doggy quote, yeah. world's different from winners and losers. But there's a reason why the stuff gets magnified at Texas or why – you're starting to hear stuff come out about Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. When you're not winning, stuff like this gets amplified. Stuff like this gets really put under the microscope. Yeah, so, Rod, I just want to know, I want to lean on you from a player perspective here as far as where you come out on this. Is this a bad look for the coaching staff? Mm. Is it sour grapes from a former player? Is it some combination of both? Is it neither? I want to know where you, as a put your former player hat on, your letterman hat on, what what say you about all this all this hubbub this morning? Um, I, I, honestly, I don't think it's a big deal, okay. but I know I understand. I agree with you. It it can get blown. It'll get blown out of proportion and probably will. This it's a it's a professional disagreement, and I'll tell you why. Because Tom Herman professionally disagreed that Deshaun Elliott was ready for the next level. This is what Deshaun Elliott is talking about. We're assuming this is yeah. Tom Herman that said this. Yeah, right. So I, I'm just telling you, like, this, this is me. This is my the theory. Not that I'll tell you my theory. This is Tom Herman was asked by coaches probably about whether these guys are ready for the NFL level because the NFL is doing their scout and they want to know. And he probably was like, nope, I don't think he's ready for the NFL level. Um, the, NFL, the players who are leaving probably see that as disrespectful and, you know, kind of hating on them. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? And, like and hurting their stock and hurting their uh, ability to monetize themselves. And they see that as a violation of the trust. You should always back me. I'm your player. But on the 40 acres, you back your player. Because this is professional. Yeah. This is professional. The way Rick so Barnes said cause, his cause, job was to well, get him let, to the pros. Let me, let me get into it, though. Because yeah. just like um, you know, these coaches, they have a reputation, too. Mm-hmm. They want these scouts to come back here. So they would like their, their word on a player to be bond. If, a guy, if I tell you, it's like, hey, man, this guy. You need to you need to do it. You need to not make, a homer. You, you know what I mean? Like I, yeah, you want to give them as 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 best of an objective opinion as you can. I you think coaching actually, coaches try to do that because it's right. a good old boys network. Yeah. Hell, they may need a job one day. And you're a coach. You don't want to sell them a bill of goods. They may need a job one day. Yes. You know what I mean? So that's how they are behind the curtain with each other. So that's the business side of it. Mm-hmm. So Deshaun Elliott sees that as disrespectful. And by the way, the NFL agreed with Tom Herman. When they gave them the evaluations back, the evaluations for everybody said pretty much was y'all ain't ready for the league. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think Connor was Connor Williams the only one. Who I don't got think Connor Williams put one in. Oh, Connor Williams I, and and Malik didn't put one in either. No, Malik they did. He did. Malik's was uh, to come okay. back to school. Yeah. Well, but okay. So basically, everybody got to get back to school, and Connor Williams didn't put one in. I think I he may have been the only know. one who didn't get a go back to school. So the NFL, Connor Williams and Sean Elliott, like too. one of them, one of them, one of them did, one of them didn't, and I don't. I, Apologize for life, me. No, 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 no worries. But I, I do believe the majority of guys, and Deshaun Elliott, one of them, they're putting one in, if not all of them. The 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 advice was counselors go back to school. So that was it. That's professional. Mm -hmm. And Deshaun Elliott right now is having a little, little hard time, you know, discerning the difference between. I mean, this is my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, But Tom Herman. I don't know what was said to them behind doors or whatever about it. That's just what I – usually that's what's going on about that. When he hits the league, he's upset that coach did not give him the full, you know, I mean, that kind of full support. Embrace, like yeah, the way – just like, that full endorsement. And I think, to me, that's what this is about. But you know what? That's, it's a profesh, to me, it's a professional disagreement. I don't think it's a personal thing between them. I think that would have come out earlier when Deshaun Elliott could make decisions for himself – about the bowl game professionally, what did he do? I'm not playing the bowl game. We know that Tom Herman probably didn't like that. I can tell you right now he probably didn't like it. Who else didn't play in the bowl game? Connor Williams. Okay. I can tell you right now, Tom Herman probably didn't like that. What did Malik Jefferson do? Walk the line. I might play. Mm-hmm. I might play. <laughs> I, I was at that bowl practice I'm at U of H. He was not. Exactly. He was not exactly. playing. Exactly. Herman's still hungry. Play, I think Tom Herman. Tom Herman appreciated the 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 kind of the respect, the perception that no no I might play. I still I still might be down for you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There was some talk that he you know what I mean that that I think uh what man we had some was it was it Tommy Nobis that passed away on? Uh, that was buzz that Malik was going to be the guy that wore sixty if he yeah, was playing. Yeah, I game. remember that. Right, mm-hmm. I remember that buzz. And I was like, ooh, that would be sexy. DJ but, style. But it was still that buzz. Tom Herman, I think, respects that. There's other guys and Houghton Hill. I'm, I'm sure probably right. Houghton Hill is probably in the same <laughs> camp with Deshaun Elliott and Connor oh, yeah. Williams about how Tom Herman. Um, you know, may have spoken about them and what he said. But for Tom Herman, that was all in his sense of being professional. When yeah. he was under their wing, yeah, Tom Herman acted like their father. I know about this personally because Mac Brown and I had a professional disagreement. We didn't disagree about anything personally. Mac Brown's a great guy. Mac Brown still, we, we hugged it out. I went to see him last. And he was like, man, I hope everything's well. How's your family? Bam, talked about personal stuff. Professionally, Back to we had a disagreement. Friends. Professionally, I said, yeah, I didn't think you should be the head coach at Texas anymore. Professionally, I didn't think your your teams had high football like you. Professionally, yeah, I thought I disagreed professionally Look at the with Blitz a lot of things. Right. And I think he had trouble discerning the difference between the professional barrier and the personal barrier. And I think that's where that's where those two worlds collide, the personal and the professional. And I think that's what's happening here. I don't think it's anything personal. They still think one of the are cool, but I think in in, in uh, the eyes of Deshaun Elliott, Tom Herman crossed the line because he should have gave him a glowing endorsement, nothing negative. And Tom Herman's like, nope, I got a reputation. You know what I mean? Tom there. Herman. People will know when you come talk to Tom Herman about something, you know what I mean? You my word is bond, that kind of thing. That's the good old boys network. And you laid yeah. it out there perfect when you're talking about a guy like we look at Herman in context of his career and his coaching acumen, this idea that he wanted to put out not only the what is gonna be the right coaching information, but then also with yeah. your team and how it's being impacted by it, it personally affects him. Then you also go and look at the idea that this is even a player from the previous regime that even if everything went well the square peg may not fit the round hole as much and then the good thing about texas is you can see that maybe 
two guys didn't disagree or uh, always see eye to eye either on campus or afterward, but the production on the field was never seemed to be affected by Deshaun Elliott. He was good, even if there were issues. So it's something to give context that when you have 85 different players, it may not all work. But professionally, when they're on the football field, it seemed as if they were able to make it work. If there were issues before this, if not, it's just a post-school professional thing going on. In the worst case scenario, it's a great example of having a guy from the previous regime being held over, still getting production out of him despite it not working or being most ideal. Now Herman's getting most ideal situation. Reportedly, these guys are going to strike, you know what I mean, for Charlie Strong because they love him so much. So they are Charlie Strong's guys. Yeah, too. and it did, that's and personal. That. And I, I remember Deshaun Elliott uploading like, so and many and, and, photos and again, of him and Charlie seem to be closer they than were, anybody. They, they were blending the line between personal and professional. It ain't got nothing yeah. to do with how we like Charlie. What's love got to do with it, all right? At this point, it's about winning games you lost to Kansas you know what I mean so what's love got yeah. to do with they love Charlie so much that they wouldn't be losing games as much they would sacrifice everything to win bad and about yeah so I, I, okay. I think that it, people have a hard time in football deciphering between the personal and the professional and I've been in that realm it happens all the time before yeah. before we go and this is this can lead us into where we're going next week mm-hmm. Andrew Beck had a quote at Big 12 Media Days talking about buy-in and things like that mm-hmm. and keep in mind this is a guy that you know, was recruited. It's weird when you look at Andrew Beck's career. He was recruited by Mac Brown and Manny Diaz. Hmm. Ends up playing for Charlie Strong, and now he's finishing his career playing uh, for Tom Herman. And uh, the quote is actually in a video up at Horns 24-7 right now. And he said, you know, guys talked a lot about buying in under Charlie and said, and I'm paraphrasing here, and said they were bought in. But the minute the coaches turned everybody loose in the locker room, and this is Andrew Beck's exact quote, he said, we had a lot of locker room lawyers that had opinions mm-hmm. on how they felt things should have been done. Of course. Yeah. He said that's not the case anymore. Now it's more of when guys do that, it's other guys standing up and saying, hey, that's not the thing, the way we do things around here. And the wording from Andrew Beck is almost exactly like it was from Tom Herman when Tom Herman took over saying, hey, clearly you guys lost 21 football games in three years. What you were doing – wasn't getting working. the job done. Yeah, exactly. And now the beginning of continuity. Like you had no continuity. You still have holdovers. Now you might be able to have, like you said, guys coming in and actually starting to grow together. So the interesting thing to me, to leave this off, and we'll pick it up next week with more Big 12 Media Days, the interesting thing to me, Rod, is is what was said in the context it was said. I know that might not seem like a big deal, but to me if it was more of like, hey, you know, this is the group of guys we got, guys that left for whatever reason, they don't want to be here, forget them, we don't need them, this is mm-hmm. us in here, whatever, blah, blah, blah. That to me is where it's like, eh, do you really want to get mad about that because it's coaches rallying the team and all that stuff. If it was a situation where you're singling out guys, like that guy, he didn't want to work hard. He, he decided to take off the NFL because he didn't want to put in the work you put in. Yeah. That's where you cross the line from – it's all just business. I hope you understand. To exactly now, you're getting to the realm where it's getting personal. Yeah, exactly. And I think the guys at U of H when he left there, I I remember there were some some interviews with guys, and they were upset, and someone was like, "Oh, he broke his word." And all he of said it was he would one. Say, yeah, I mean. Well, okay, I said I would stay. I have yeah, to. You know the, the industry yeah, we're in, man. And you know what? I told my ex-girlfriend that we were going to be together forever. forever. And I loved her. <laughs> and I did. But that was then. This is now. You know, things change. So, <laughs> I, yes, well, six, well I, I've, been, I've been on both sides of that. And it's really tough. I, I think both sides have their valid, you know, <laughs> opinions in that. Real quick before change we get it. out of here. Exactly. Uh, you're at the same place that, uh, you know, the guys in this you know, 2018 class that they were coming into a second year mm-hmm. of a coaching regime when you got to Texas in 99 under Mac Brown. Did Mac do that with guys that left? Like, hey, that guy didn't want to be here or forget that guy. Was there some of that same? Uh, same well, no. Rhetoric? The guys, those are natural attrition. Guys just end up leaving. You okay. know what I mean? A lot of the time. That's just kind of a, I think it's just natural and organic when any new regime comes in. And Let me ask you about one. Forward hold on, real quick, because I know back. we got to go. Real quick, one specific that I, and I don't, you may want to get into this, may not. Uh, Kwame Cavill, because Kwame didn't play in a bowl game. Yeah. ended up going pro. Was there any of that when Kwame? No, left? Kwame was, a big part was of that team. Uh, Mac and Kwame. They loved one okay. another. Yeah, it was just it was business. That's the only example I can think of. That's the only example I can think of. Me and Aaron Humphrey. It was business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, Matt. Thanks for everything, man. Oh, uh, you're more than welcome. Rod, B. Appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network, 104.9 The Horn, HornFM.com, worldwide on the Horn app, where you can hear Rod each and every weekday on the Rodcast from one to three. And thanks to Matt, you get us on. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, anywhere you get your podcasts, and always get our archives on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, you're right. Type in Longhorn Blitz. 
For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. We will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.